Father, we come before you today and we thank you for your word and the power that it has to shape our lives. We ask, Lord, that your word would shape our life today. Pray that you would anoint me that I might speak your word in power and in truth. And uh, Lord, I pray for all of us that we would hear your word from, from your throne this day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Sharon Janes was thinking about uh, the love chapter one Christmas, and she decided that she would personalize 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And so she wrote it down, and this is what she wrote. I thought it was really good. If I decorate my house perfectly with plaid bows and strands of twinkling lights and shining balls, but, not do, but do not show love to my family, I am just another decorator. <laughs> If I slave away in the kitchen, baking dozens of Christmas cookies, preparing gourmet meals, and arranging beautifully adorned table and, uh, at mealtimes, but do not show love to my family, I'm just another cook. If I work at the soup kitchen, carol at the nursing home, and give all I have to charity, but do not show love to my family, it profits me nothing. If I trim the, the spruce with shimmering angels and crystal snowflakes and attend a myriad of heart, holiday parties and sing in the children's cantata, but do not focus on Christ, I miss the point. Love stops the cooking to hug the child. Love sets aside the, de the decorating to kiss the husband. Love is kind, though harried and tired. <laughs> that struck a note. <laughs> Love doesn't envy another's home that has coordinated Christmas china and table linens. Love doesn't yell at the kids to get out of the way, but is thankful that they are there to be in the way. Love doesn't give only to those who are able to give in return, but rejoices at giving to those who can't. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Video games will break, pearl necklaces will be lost, golf clubs will rust, but the giving, the gift of love will endure forever. Amen? Amen. I think it's just really important that we recognize that love is a Christmas thing, and it's very easy to miss the point of love while we're busy doing all this other stuff. Love's an amazing thing. It's kind of an intangible thing. Uh, but it's so powerful. I fell in love 34 years ago. <laughs> and uh, I couldn't believe the power of that emotion. It gripped my soul. And it united my soul with Jennifer's soul. And we became one. And it has, it's, it has an eternal quality that has never left me, not even for the moments where we're in a fight or something. But that eternal quality was always there, and I, I assume it's always going to be there. I can't explain it, but it just gripped me, and it can't be lost. I have a, a profound love for her, and it's a permanent condition. <laughs> You know, when my sons were born, the moment I saw them, the same thing happened to me. It was just like, it was just overwhelming. The first time when Kendall was born, I, I just about lost it. I, 
I didn't know what was happening to me. I was ready for it the next two times. But, but that first time, man, it just bowled me over. I didn't know what was going on. It was so unexplainable force that gripped my soul and just wouldn't let me go. Um, it's an indestructible force. I can't help but love them. You know, uh, some people say that love is a decision that you have to make. Um, and I agree that there are times when I have to decide to love my, my kids and my wife. <laughs> and, uh, it's not always a bed of roses. And I have to make a decision that I will act in a loving way. Not just love them, but act like loving them. Um, but I don't actually recall ever deciding to love Jennifer, Kendall, Aaron, and Jason. I just love them. Just, I always have. The moment, you know, like, well, no, I, I suppose I grew into love with Jennifer. But for the rest, I've loved them their whole lives. And, I, and so, yes, I, I agree with the idea that love is a decision, that we have to follow it through. But there's some loves that are just inherent. They're just there. I can't explain them. And um, I'm not quite sure if my explanation of love there. Uh, really explains the unexplainable. I, I can't explain love, really. Um, sometimes my boys have asked me, how do I know I'm in love? And I'm like, I don't know. You, you'll know. <laughs> you'll know. <laughs> it's because love is the most powerful force in the universe. I mean, it's just powerful. And I don't say that because I've experienced the power of love. I don't say that because I grew up, you know, in the 60s and there was, you know, flower power and love power and John Lennon singing, you know, all you need is love, 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 love is all you need. Okay, yeah, we'll leave the singing to John Lennon, but, but that wasn't, that's not the reason that I believe that love is the most powerful force in the world. The reason I believe love is the most powerful force in the world is because the Bible says that God is love. And according to my math teacher, if A equals B, then B, and B, B equals C, then A equals C. Okay? God is all-powerful, so if God is love, then love has to be all-powerful. And so, so love is a powerful, powerful thing. You know, the Bible says... Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And so we know and rely on the love of God that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Now, there's lots of people who live in love, they think. But I believe that that love that I, I didn't need to conjure up was given me because I'm in God. And I believe Christians who are in God and who have the Holy Spirit in their life can have a greater love capacity than anyone else in the world. We have the love capacity of God because God's Spirit resides in us. And that's why John can say, whoever lives in love lives in God. It's because the kind of love that Christians enjoy is a God kind of love. It's an unconditional love. It's an agape love. Christmas is a time when God's expression of love is very, very clear. Uh, I mean, I can quote the most quoted verse in the Bible, right? For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son. Notice the word give in there. Christmas, we often say it's about giving, and it certainly is because God gave his son. And it's because of love that he gave. There's no other reason that I can find in the scriptures other than that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This was God's greatest act for us. As a, fa- as a father, there is no greater sacrifice than to sacrifice your son. I would much rather sacrifice my own life than my son's life, and yet God gave his own son as a sacrifice for us. And this is really what Christmas is all about, isn't it? It's that God was giving a gift of love to us. And it's really, I think, at Christmas time, the greatest thing that you can give your family is not a bunch of presents under the tree. It's the gift of love. You can have your, your Christmas tree floating in a sea of presents. And believe me, around our, our tree has looked like that a few times. But you know what? If there's bickering and backbiting and, and anger and frustration and bitterness in your family for months ahead of time, no amount of pres- presents floating about the tree uh, is going to change that. It's not going ch- to create love suddenly. Love is something that God gives us to our family and friends and, and to everybody, in fact. Um, love is one of the great themes of Christmas, along with what? Hope and peace and joy, right? I mean, even our, our Advent Sundays are start with hope, and then it's peace, and then today is joy, and then uh, next week is love. So why am I talking about love Today, <laughs> as Alexander and Rafiq pointed out very clearly, today is the day of joy. Well, um, let, me, let me get into that. So, basically, I had no idea what to preach today. As a pastor, let, let me just let you in on a little secret, okay? As a pastor, I love to preach the whole Bible. But every year, we have these things called Advent Weeks. And so I'm sort of expected to preach on Christmas for four weeks every year. Um, and I love preaching on Christmas, except that I've been here 25 years times four. That's 100 sermons on Christmas. They all got to be different. They all got to be interesting. It's a lot of work. So anyways, my point is that I had no idea what to preach on. And so I said, Lord, help me out. And so I thought, well, I'm going to look in Galatians and see if there's something in Galatians. I can just carry on my... my uh, my uh, series and preach on something in Galatians on Christmas. And I looked and looked and looked. and <laughs> I couldn't find anything really on Christmas in the last two chapters of Galatians. Just, and I don't see it. So I just prayed, Lord, please, you know, could you just show me what I should preach on? And, uh, and so I felt permission by the Lord to just do what I've done before. And, and this isn't a recommendation to do this. I just felt permission from the Lord to do this. Uh, I think I might need some batteries. Not batteries? Okay. Tighten this, maybe? Okay. Yeah, it seems to have solved it. Um, <laughs> you know, this has happened to me before. No, that's not solving it either. Okay. Well, I don't know what the problem is. Um, so I, I opened my Bible and dropped my finger. Okay. <laughs> That's what I did, (laughs) okay? And and I hit Romans chapter 5, and I just started reading, you know, and I was like, 
Okay, landed right in the middle of Paul's uh, speech on, is it solved? I don't know, it might be solved. I, I landed right in the middle of Paul's speech on justification by faith. And I'm like, oh man, this is not helping any. Yeah, that's, that seemed to have cured it. So, thank you. So, I, I landed right on this justification by faith, and I'm like, well, that's not very Christmassy. <laughs> I'm like, this, you know. But I thought, well, you know, I better read it at least. So, I started reading it. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, God died for... You guys are supposed to be keeping up with me. Go, 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 go. Five different slides. Come on, let's see them. Sorry, Matt. Yeah, there we go. You're slowly keeping up. Very rarely will someone die for the righteous man, but for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, as I'm reading through this, and if we go to the slide before, no, no, go go to the next slide, actually. Next, 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 next. There we go. As you can see, all the four Christmas things are right in this passage. And, I, and all of a sudden I went, oh, this is a Christmas passage after all. <laughs> Peace and joy and hope and, uh, and love. I mean, what could be more Christmassy than that? The passage is full of Christmas stuff. And I went, oh. And so it was the, when I was reading this last part of verse 5, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. It all suddenly gelled in my heart, and I went, that's it. The the Christmas words, love, peace, joy, what are they? The fruit of the Spirit. And I went, ah, of course. I still can preach from Galatians. (laughs) So, uh, there you go. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace, the first three. I don't know if you've ever considered that the things that God brought to us at Christmas time are the very things that when he comes into us with the fullness of his Holy Spirit, they're the things that are birthed in us. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and all the other things. But these are the first three, and they're Christmas things. Um, You see... So that's why I decided to preach on love today, because it's the first of the, of the gifts of the, the Spirit. Uh, you see, God wants, us, wants to fill us with his character qualities. Next slide. You'll notice, um, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by whom? By the Holy Spirit. It all fits. To, it's funny how the scriptures fit together, isn't it? They, they work together that way. And we have love, joy, and peace because the Holy Spirit is in us. And when Christ comes into our hearts, he actually tips over this big bucket of love and dumps it in. 
when he gives us the Holy Spirit. He dumps it into our hearts. And when, when the scriptures say that we are a new creation, that new creation is a creation that has God's love within it. We are filled with love because we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And because God is love, it all fits together. It's that math equation again. You know, God is love and the Spirit, therefore the Spirit is love. And since the Spirit is in us, we become love. Well, at least we contain love. We contain God the Spirit. He comes to dwell in us. And the Spirit brings along his own character personality traits. Okay, each one of us has personality traits, but the Holy Spirit's personality traits are the traits of God, love and joy and peace and all the other ones. And love is the capstone. Love is the attribute of God that is most prevalent in God. It's, It's a predominant characteristic, an essential attribute of God. And when you think of it, God's love is the only reason we, we exist, actually. I mean, his power was made clear in, in creation. But think about it. Why did God create humans? Because of love. Because he, love needs to have an object of its love. And so God created us to be objects of his love. So he would have someone to love. Uh, you know... Procreation is kind of like that, isn't it? We have children. One of the reasons is so that we can love them. And that's part of being real. Love demands an object. And you and I, were the object of God's love. Have you ever thought of that? He created us so he could love us. Wow. And in fact, the whole redemption plan, we are different than the angels because God created the angels too, and I'm sure he loves them as well. But we are different from the angels because God knew that we wouldn't keep serving him. And he knew before the foundation of the world that he would redeem us. And he would show his love to us in this most profound and powerful way by sending Jesus Christ. And so we have one up on the angels. We are not just loved, but we have been redeemed by love. What an awesome thought. It's amazing. You know, the Bible's chock full of passages about God's love. Uh, Zephaniah 3.17, I bet you haven't memorized that one. (laughs) Uh, The Lord God, your God is with you, and he is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Psalm 36.7, how priceless is your unfailing love. Surely it was for my benefit that I suffered from anguish. In your love, you kept me from the pit of destruction. You've put my sins behind your back. That's from Isaiah, from 1 John. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. Uh, Psalm 63, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. And of course, John 3:16. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Um, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I notice some of you are starting to write some of these verses down. Stop, okay? There's 550 verses. (laughs) I'm not going to spend the rest of the afternoon quoting them all. The Bible is chock full of verses about God's love for you. God loves us, and it's his nature. It's not about who we are, it's about his nature. 
It's a nature of love. Now, some people think, oh, God is love, so God loves everybody, and he does love everybody. But it doesn't mean that he will take everybody to heaven with him. Because unfortunately, I suppose, but not really unfortunately, because of God's great wisdom, God also has other attributes uh, as well as love. So he's also just. He also uh, is condemning of sinful behavior and his wrath is great against sin. So love and mercy and grace are a huge part of God. But God is also just and righteous and holy. And so when many people feel like, well, if God loves everybody, so everybody will go to heaven. But the Bible doesn't describe God that way. God, the Bible describes God as being just and punishing someone for our sins and saying, you must believe in this one who died for you or you, I cannot accept you. Your sins will block out, block you out from my presence. And so God is love and he provided a way to enter into his presence. That's what makes him so loving. He provided the way. And it's up to us to accept the way into his presence. We accept that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And that's what brings us into his presence. That's what brings us into a relationship with him. And the relationship that starts here will end in glory. Awesome. Well, what is love? How do we define it? Human love is generally a response to the conditions and circumstances around us. We love because someone pleases us or because they're good-looking, you know, um, or they make us laugh. laugh. But in contrast, God is not like that. He doesn't love because of what he can get from the relationship. He loves because it's his nature to love. That's the kind of God he is. And you know, Matthew Henry said, the great God not only loves his saints, but he also loves to love them. God loves to love you. He just does. It tickles him fancy. It tickles his fancy. You know, when I was describing my love for my family earlier, I feel like that's a divine love that God gave in my heart for my family that is unquenchable. It's because I'm a believer in Christ and God has poured out that love into my heart. It extends beyond my family, believe me. I care about people um, and I, I'm human and, and I fail in that matter, but God's love enters into our hearts. And I believe that that kind of love is part of my regenerated nature. My born, the born again part of me has been infused with the love of God. And I believe that for all of you who have been regenerated in Christ. Christians can love at that deeper level because Christ is in them. So since the highest form of love is found in God, let's explore that love for, for a moment. And I think one of the clearest description of God's love in the New Testament is found in that passage that God led me to this week to, to teach on this week in, in Romans chapter 5, verse 6 to 8 in particular. So let's go back to that verse. Um, 
These verses contain God's gift for us. It's not his birth so much as his death that really is the great gift of God towards us. So here, let me read it again. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So I'd like to break this passage down to to four points about who is the the object of God's love. Four points. And then um, two points on on the nature of God and and why he loves. Uh, Thanks, Aaron. Uh, so, so first of all, in verse six, it says the objects of God's wrath were—sorry, uh, the objects of God's love were powerless. Did you see that? Just at the right time, when we were still powerless. This word powerless is basically that we can't change our own nature. We're not able to become the person that w- God would want us to be on our own. We're we're useless at that. Um, and the New Testament typically applies this word to the sick and the feeble, uh, to those who've been wiped out by some kind of disease. They're powerless to do anything about it. And it's used in the moral sense to denote this kind of idea that uh, there's, we're not able to undertake something. We just don't have the power or the ability to do it, anything. And particularly, we have no power to come up with our own salvation plan. We can't save ourselves. We're powerless to save ourselves. So we're completely uh, unable to save ourselves. And the second word, uh, then it says, um, Christ died for the ungodly. So we're we're ungodly. We we don't care about the things that God cares about. Uh, We're not just helpless and vile and obnoxious, but we're ungodly. In other words, we're irreverent and impious. We, we don't really care about godly things. We deliberately withheld from God the, the holiness that he expects from us. And the third truth we see is in verse 8. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. So the, this is the object of God's love we're talking about here, okay? So helpless, ungodly, sinners, so we have, we have deliberately disobeyed God in many ways. The Bible says that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Not one of us is righteous before God. And the fourth, the fourth one is actually in the next, in verse 10. We haven't read this yet. For while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, will we, we be saved through his life? We're enemies of God. You ever thought about that? These are the objects of God's love. The ones who are, um, sorry, what were they again? (laughs) Powerless, ungodly, sinful, and enemies of God. Wow. 
Ephesians 2 verse 3 adds, our very nature was that we are objects of God's wrath. And yet, even the objects of God's wrath became the objects of his love. Isn't that an awesome thing? And the Bible says that it's while we're still in that state, Christ died for us. You know, it helps us to see that we don't have any claim on God's love. My children can say, well, I'm your son, so you have to love me. You know, they have a claim to that. But we don't have any claim like that to God, you know. Or they could say, well, I've been a pretty good kid, so you have to love me. But we don't have that with God. There's no reason God would love us. We're naturally not lovable. <laughs> sin has infected us. And sin uglifies everything it touches. And we look ugly to God because of the sin. But God loves us not because of us. He loves us because of him. It's who he is. He is a loving God. And that's why he loves us. And we need to get that straight because sometimes when we think, oh, well, God doesn't really love me. Obviously, he doesn't love me because I have this terrible thing going on in my life. So he must not love me because I'm, you know, I keep doing that sin that I always do. And I disappoint him and I'm not very, I'm not very good at, you know, the things he's called me to do. And so God doesn't love me. What are you talking about? You're now his child. God loved you before you were his child. When you were a sinner, helpless, uh, an enemy, God loved you then. How much more then doesn't he love you now that you're a child of God? So don't ever have that notion in your head that God doesn't love you. Things might not be going your way. That doesn't mean God doesn't love you. He loves you very much and he loves you in that circumstance very, very much. And he's proven his love over and over again through Christ. So now God's unconditional love. If we go back up to verse 7, it says this. Uh, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. I want you to think for a moment. Have you ever considered this thought? Who would you be willing to die for? There's a few people on my list. Probably the ones I already mentioned. (laughs) I'd be willing to die for them and maybe a few more. I'd be willing to die for it, take their place. Even, Even thinking about it for a long time ahead of time, I'd probably still be willing to die if it meant saving their life. I'd be willing to do that. In fact, I remember telling a story about a a boy who was giving a a blood transfusion to his sister. And in the middle of the uh, operation, he asked the doctor, so when do I die? (laughs) He thought he was giving his blood to save his sister's life and that he was going to die. Isn't that just unbelievable? But that's the way love is. It's ready to die for people. Who would you die for? Possibly a handful of people. But here, get this. Would you die for the person you dislike the most in the world? Your enemy? Would you be willing to die for your enemy? Would you be willing to die for the one who in your face says, yeah, I'm a sinner and I don't care? Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. While we were called enemies of God, he died for us. Wow. Wow. 
But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. The emphasis of this verse is that we were still sinners. We hadn't been changed yet. We're powerless, ungodly, rebellious sinners and enemies, and he died for them. Do you remember what Jesus said on the cross about the ones who were nailing him to the cross? He prayed for them. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. It's our sins also that nailed him to the cross. That's what he was dying for. And he says to us, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So I want to just conclude with this. What is our response to that kind of love? The kind of love that just flows regardless of where we were. And now that we're children of God, it just flows to us. His love for us is immense and, and powerful. How do we respond? Well, I think the, the proper response to God's love, especially, or I, I don't know if especially, but at Christmas time, definitely, but all, all year round, the proper response is to love him back. When we love someone, if it's not reciprocated, it makes it much more difficult. And the Bible is very clear. Um, Matthew 22, 37, rises the bar, and he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. If we say we love him, we have to love others as well. <clears throat> love others, dear friends. Since God, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. That's the second thing. So love God first, love others. That's the second greatest command is to love others. This, this is the response at Christmas time. <clears throat> and so I want to ask you a few things. Husbands, are you looking to ways to put your wife first this Christmas? Wives, are you looking for ways to put your, your husband's needs ahead of yours this Christmas? Uh, do you love your kids unconditionally, no matter what they're doing? Kids, do you love your parents no matter how much they punish you? That's a big question when all the kids are gone. Teenagers, here we go. Do you love and honor your parents like the Bible calls you to do? Do you love your coworkers, your neighbors, your enemies? This is the third one. Or, no, fourth one. One more before we get to enemies. The Bible says... The second commandment is like the first. The first one is love the Lord your God. The second one is like that. And it says love your neighbor as who? As yourself. So a good response to God's love for you is to love yourself. And to not look at yourself as someone that God despises or someone that is despisable. You are loved and so you are cherished. And you have great worth in God's eyes. Don't look at yourself with a despicable person that I am. Ugh. No. Love yourself because God loves you. And then love your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who, who persecute you. So love God. Love others. Um, love ourselves. And love your enemies. There was a Baptist pastor who's a friend of George Washington. And uh, he lived in a small Pennsylvania town during the American Revolution. 
And in the same town, there was also this man who was constantly opposed to this, this pastor, humiliated him, hassled him. His name was Mitch Whitman. And he was kind of just an evil guy. He's just hard to get along with and just really rubbed the pastor the wrong way. One day, Michael Whitman was arrested for treason and sentenced to, to be hung in uh, Philadelphia. And when the pastor heard about it, he traveled 70 miles on foot to plead for the life of the traitor. The minister went up to George Washington, his friend, and, and asked Mr. Washington that, that Mr. Whitman be set free. And uh, Washington said, uh, no, Peter, I can't grant you the life of your friend. The preacher shouted, my friend? He's the worst enemy I've ever had. And Washington was like flabbergasted. He's like, what? You walked 70 miles to save the life of an enemy? Hmm. That puts the matter in a different light. And he actually granted the pardon. And Pastor took home Michael Whitman, not as an enemy, but as a friend. No longer an enemy, but a friend. And what about you this morning? Is there an enemy that you find it difficult to love? Are you willing to show a great love and walk 70 miles on foot? Yeah, that's what walking is. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I say silly things, don't I? <laughs> uh, but uh, are you willing to care for your enemies? And finally, one last thing. Love compels us to tell other people the good news of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 15, 14 and 20. For Christ's love compels us. It's that love that he puts in, his, in our heart that makes us just yearn for other people to be saved. And I, I can't imagine that, that if you're a Christian and God has poured out his love in your heart, that you could possibly not want other people to go to experience that as well and to go to heaven. That just doesn't make any sense to me at all. Evangelism is part of what we do because of the love God has poured in our heart. Uh, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We're recipients of love. We love other people. And we share the good news with them. And so you might be thinking, oh man, I, I better get out there and witness to my friends and I better love the people I don't love and, and you know, I, I better do all these things. <clears throat> you know what? <clears throat> don't. Don't try harder to do these things. What I want you to do is walk in the Spirit. That's what this is all about. It's about walking in the Spirit. You see, the Spirit is love. If we walk in Him, these things will come naturally, okay? So uh, loving your neighbor, loving your enemies, loving uh, God, and in sharing the gospel, all of these things will come absolutely naturally if we walk in the Spirit. That's what I talked about two weeks ago, the fact that we need to walk in the Spirit. We need to do what, um, what God is calling us to do, and that is to live with him closely. You know, Jesus said, abide in me and I will abide in you. You want the fruit of the Spirit in your life? 
This is going to be, you know, my closing remarks of all the next sermons as I preach through the gifts of the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit. It's always the same thing. Don't just try harder to love everybody. Get to know the lover of your soul, and you will automatically be filled with love for other people. It'll, it'll happen automatically. And so often I think, oh, I just got to try harder. I just got to share more with my neighbor, look for opportunities to share my faith with my neighbor. But you know what? No. I need to work harder at walking with Christ. And then those things will naturally happen. You know, as a pastor, I visit a lot of uh, seniors' residents. Um, And what I've noticed as I've walked the halls is that there's a lot of lonely people in seniors' residence. People that have been forgotten, basically. Uh, The children visit them once a year, maybe. Uh, The friends don't stop by. The only people that care for them are the nurses and the, the, the orderlies. And believe me, they don't always care that well. Because they don't really know the person as they used to be. They know them as they are today, helpless and, and you know, downcast. And so I see these people all the time. It bothers me. I wish I had thousands of hours to visit all of them. But, you know, there's one person that I know that was in a senior's home for three years in the Alzheimer's wing of the senior home. It's my dad. And he was never lonely. He never lacked for someone to care for him because my mom would go in and visit him every day for hours, every day. She, she found an apartment close by to that senior's home so that she could be there for him. Now, my dad, during this time with his Alzheimer's wrecking his mind, he did some nasty things. He, he actually, before he went to the hospital, this is actually what, what my mom wanted to care for my dad at home. But he picked up an iron bar and threatened my mom. And that's when my sister stepped in and said, no, 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 he's going to a home. And then when my dad was in the home, he accused my mom of all kinds of horrible things, so horrible things that I can't share them with you because they're, they're, they're nasty. They're not my dad. But my mom didn't care one bit. Well, she cared. It really hurt her, actually. But that didn't stop the love. From the day I was born... I saw two people in love till the day my father died. These two people loved each other. And my mom would go every day and clean up after him and take him for a walk around the compound. And I remember one time we took him, we, we got a kite and he flew a kite. Something he did when he was like a kid. He had so much fun. It was amazing. And my mom's love for my dad was patient. It didn't matter how, how long it took him to eat one bite. Mom was there just holding the fork up. My mom's love was kind. It didn't matter how nasty he was, how crotchety he got. 
He actually didn't get too bad. But she was kind every time. And it was, she was never too proud to, to help him out. She's never looking for any kind of feedback. She was never looking to be praised by, you know, her kids for doing what she was doing. She was always honoring my dad. She always played down whatever nasty thing he was doing. She was always protecting him, always trusting that God had a plan, always hoping that dad would get better or that he would be taken home. She was always persevering. You see, because love never fails. Never fails. And to me, that love that I saw my mom have for my dad, it reminds me of God's love more powerfully than anything I could ever imagine. And, uh, you know, one of my, one of my nieces, She's at my dad's funeral. And she went back home after being at the funeral. And she told her boyfriend, you know, I don't think we can continue dating. Because I don't see us ending up like my grandparents. (laughs) That's the kind of love that was so evident between my mother and my father to my, my niece. She broke up with her boyfriend because she didn't think that him and her could ever have what my parents had. I was like, wow. This is, a, this is the nature of, of what Paul is saying. He says, remember we had a couple weeks ago, we talked about what does it really mean to follow the law, the, the law of God? Not, not the laws of the Old Testament, but this new kind of law. And he says, you, brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh, rather to serve one another humbly, humbly in love. The entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. Oh, that's my Christmas prayer. <laughs> Let's pray. Oh, Father, so fill us with your Holy Spirit that we can have a love that knows no limits, that is absolutely limitless. Lord, that doesn't look to our own interests, but always is looking to the interests of others. Lord, fill us with that kind of love. Lord, we know that you have it for us, and we want to have it for other people. So, Lord, we commit ourselves today, Lord, to walking in your spirit. Lord, teach us to be faithful in prayer, to be faithful in, in, in calling upon you to, to have love, to have the, what we need to live our, our Christian life holy and pleasing to you. Lord, we call upon you even right now, Lord. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, for we are committed to walking in the power of that love, the Holy Spirit's power. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.